Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Okay, so let's, uh, let's put a little framework on today's discussion. And if you're not, know, if you're not figured out what we're talking about today, uh, let's, let's just make this one statement. Black lives matter. Are you with me? All right, did your blood boil just a little bit when I said that? Right? Because if you're like me and you grew up in white suburbia, you've just had all of it you can stand. You've heard Black Lives Matter up to your eyeballs, and you're like, what in the world? Well, um, we, we want to tackle this subject today. Uh, and so uh, at 9.30, it was, it was a little funky, wasn't it, Reuben? Yeah. If you don't know, this is Dr. Reuben Gresham. He's, uh, he's a big shot around here at church, but he's also my friend, and he's the principal at Lanier High School. Uh, and in case you didn't know it, he's black. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Thank you. Yeah. And um, he is incredibly, uh, he, he really is just a, a really bright dude. Uh, I consider him a, a, one of my dearest friends and would also say um, he is much smarter than me. He is much fitter than me. He is much better looking than me. Um, <laughs> complex is sitting in. I'm just going to stop. So let's frame this conversation with a couple of thoughts, all right? First of all, let me stop and state the obvious for the sake of all of you that have already prepared the email. You ready? Okay. I know all lives matter. I know that. You don't have to. I got it. Okay? And, and I am keenly aware that red and yellow, black and white, they may not be precious in all your sight. I'm keenly aware of that as well. What I know in the framework of this conversation is that when I heard Black Lives Matter as recently as last Sunday morning preaching in Tennessee, I framed that around, yeah, well, all lives matter. I have, I have police officers in this church that are some of the godliest and wonderful people on the planet. Blue lives matter. We have Hispanic friends and on this staff, and there are about 200 Hispanic families over in the chapel worshiping right now. Brown lives matter. Yellow lives matter. I could just go on and on, right? But here's the problem. This is a topic the church will not talk about for some reason. And I think I know why. Because we don't want to. We don't want to talk about this. You see, Doc, when, when I hear Black Lives Matter, you know, the first thing that comes out of my mouth, like, all middle-aged white dudes, all lives matter. Bring that weak junk in here, all lives matter, right? Now, let me put this into context, all right? Now, you know why I say that? I'm not black. That's why I say that. But let, let me put it in a little more context. Let's put it to you this way, all right? Let's say I come in today, all right? And I look at Kirk over there, and I say, Kirk, I am so tired. I am exhausted. I am out, I'm just so tired. And Kirk looks back at me and says, dude, we're all tired. Okay. And even if he says it nicely, Chuck, we're all tired. Maybe he says it like this, Chuck, buddy, I'm probably more tired than you. And, and you know what? So is Rusty. We're all tired, Chuck. Somewhere along the line, what that said to me is, Chuck, you may be tired, but the fact is you need to be more concerned that we're all tired. And you being tired didn't really count, so let me trump that one more time. No pun intended. <laughs> For those of you watching online, he wrote that line. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. He did not say that the first time. I really didn't. I know it. That's what happens when you get off the notes. So let me put this in context. I believe the police officers by and large and across America are extraordinary people that we ask to do way too much with no gratitude. And, and we're asking them to do things that are absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? I don't want to be a cop sitting and walking up to a car and having no idea whether nine millimeters coming out to me or not either. I don't listen. I'm not saying Every white guy's a racist. I'm not saying every young black guy in a hoodie's a thug. I'm not saying every Hispanic person is illegal. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that all preachers are fat. <laughs> Including this one. <laughs> so, let's put that in context and let's put a, another part of this in context, all right? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, if you claim to have, to, to have believed that God the Father looked at your life and said in your sinful state that you need forgiveness, so he sent his own son Jesus to die for you, shed his blood for you, be buried for you, raised from the dead for you, and all you have to do is ask for forgiveness, and he will hear your prayer. If you believe that today, and no matter if you grew up in white suburbia or, or you grew up in upper income, lower income, no income, inner city, wherever it was at, if you believe that, then you believe what I'm about to read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you say, well, Chuck, that's not, that, that's not what I believe about everybody, then we have a really big problem. Because you see, your lineage and my lineage goes back to this. And you cannot deny that any way you look at it. And so, at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus, if I have the perspective on any creation made in the image of God, breathing with a soul, with any disdain, or any belief that I am more than, greater than, in any shape or form or fashion, the Bible would say, that is sin. And what that means is, if racism is sitting in the tiniest part of your heart, I believe it is God's reminder to us today, we need to get right before God. The church can no longer stick its head in the sand and believe that we need to sit in white suburbia and make everything fine. Let me just give you another thought. If you say, well, that's not enough. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, lest you believe that this is about rich or white and poor or black, that is not the context of the author who is a dad writing to a son to give him wisdom on how to live this life in a godly fashion. The, the text is literally saying and trying to paint a picture for a son that says, all creation, no matter who they are, fat and skinny, bald and hairy, tall, short, all creation, black, white. And what does it say? The Lord is the maker of them all. You say, well, Chuck, I need a little more. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor, same concept across the scale of God's creation, the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to, to the eyes of both. 
So now, in this context, let's, let's grasp and understand this. I recognize that this is not a topic that we want to deal with, but this is a topic that the first century church had to deal with, and the reason that we are here today is because they learned how to deal with it well. And maybe the lesson today is that we might gain some perspective and we might be able to stop and ask ourselves in this issue in our life, how are we to respond to God? So, Doc, yes, let me sir. jump in and uh, kind of put you on the spot on the front end. And you right. know I'm not going to ask the same question I know last you last hour. I right? know you will not. Okay. So, let, let's jump into this first and say, uh, so I've, I've admitted what I hear when I hear Black Lives Matter. Okay? And I, I've had to kind of fess up on that one. What is it you hear when you hear Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, First of all, understand that we, we, we are in the light of public perception. Yeah. Your role yeah. as well as uh, I myself. So I need to make sure that I lay the groundwork for anyone to understand when a student walks into the doors of Lanier High School, that they are going to get 180% of my love regardless of what they look like. Mm. Um, when I hear Black Lives Matter, I have to layer it in, a, in, in one context of how was I raised. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was raised that education is our number one equalizer mm. of what we have. Um, my grandmother and my aunt, uh, they used to share that with me all of the time, but they also told me this, along with your education becomes privilege. Right. Along with that privilege becomes an awesome responsibility. So what I hear when I hear Black Lives Matter, it is deeply rooted to when there were movements that took place in these United States of America based on a First Amendment right, based on the Constitution that said that black lives did not matter. Mm. From an educational context, look at Jim Crow, mm. Brown versus Board of Education. We've had so many cases all around this world that we live in that have said that black lives do not matter and now there's something out there that is rearing its ugly head all yeah. over again yeah. and it is calling on us to address the issue right yes i believe that all lives matter if if i did not believe that all lives matter i need to leave this stage because i do not believe in this thing called the bible amen however you must understand that whatever the movement may be we can call it a fill-in-the-blank movement. It could be women's lives matter. It could be Hispanic, Latino lives matter. Black lives matter. It doesn't come from pleasure. It comes from pain. Mm. And that is something that we must recognize. Mm. And that, that's what, that that's really is what resonates in my heart and my mind when I think of Black Lives Matter. That's good, Doc. Um, so let, let's use that as a segue. Okay. All right. And uh, if... If you could kind of take that, take that one concept that Dr. Gresham just shared, which is when we hear Black Lives Matter, let's first park that thought that wherever it, is, wherever it has come from, it is starting, it is rooted in something that is painful. Are you with me? Now, you may not agree with that, but just go there with me for a minute, okay? Just go right there, just hang there for just a second. All right, uh, let, let me take, before I unpack this next piece of scripture, let me, let me give you another thing to kind of put as a backdrop to, to this discussion. And that is this, if I came to you today and I said, okay, what is the best way for us to eradicate ISIS? Many of us sitting here in Gwinnett County, Georgia, many of us would say, I'll tell you what we need to do, Chuck. We need to light up all those planes we've got with all the bombs we got and bomb a crud out of them. That's what we need to do. And you know, it makes perfect sense from Sugar Hill, Georgia. But if I went 
over to where ISIS is stationed, and all of a sudden while there, I found, wait a minute, there's a missionary across the street trying to minister to young girls to find, let them find an identity in Christ. If I walked across the other corner and I found a family that, ha that had seven families in one dirt floor room, and somebody was attempting to give birth to a baby, and there are children playing in those streets. If I went across the other way and I saw a missionary starting a school, or I went on the other side and I saw a woman who had literally been beaten because she dared show her face, all of a sudden, that decision to go bomb the crud out of them would get a little more complex, would it not? It would get significantly more complex. Now, let me just stop and say, well, Chuck, where are you going there? Look at this. The further I am away from that problem, the more simple the solution seems. And the closer I get to the problem, the more complex the solution seems. Do you know why Black Lives Matter doesn't make me think, yeah, they do, because I'm not black. But watch this. My brother from another mother and my sister from another mister is. And God created him and God created me, and God created you, and none of us got a leg up on anybody because it took the same amount of blood for Jesus to die for you and him and me, and there was no extra. Yeah, but Chuck, that's not how I was raised. Okay, watch this. My life verse is Micah 6, 8, and here's what the Scripture says. He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I want you to stay with this progression because, Doc, we're going to come back to what you just said a minute ago. All right, you ready? If we're going to do justice, and, and, and you understand the definition of justice is to right a wrong. Are you with me? Or to do justice is to see a wrong and do everything you can to make it right. You can't do justice without kindness. You don't have kindness without empathy. You see, the reason that you, you pay to get book bags filled with food to hungry children is that you have an empathy that you don't want children to be hungry. That empathy leads you in kindness to want to do justice. And when you do justice, when you give of yourself, you are indeed walking humbly because you're not looking across the street and thinking to myself, I'm so much better than they are. You're thinking, my stars, what an honor it is to help people in need. So can you see how these three come together? We don't really go do justice until we're moved by kindness, and we're not moved by kindness without empathy. But empathy is one of those things that happens, Doc, in a couple of different ways. One of them is geographically. Empathy is I'm with you. I, I understand the difference in what happens in your home. I, I want to walk with you. You mentioned it a minute ago. When, when something is birthed in hurt or brokenness or fear, then we move toward that in empathy. So, Doc, when, when I was learning how to drive, what I heard was if a police officer pulls you over, uh, get out your license, your registration, your insurance card. When he comes up, you know, address him as officer, yes, sir, no, sir, et cetera, et cetera, and everything be fine. You know why? I, I was raised in, in, a, in a white home in, in, in suburbia America, and that's what you did. Nothing wrong with that, right? No, absolutely nothing wrong with that. My fear is if I were a 56-year-old black man, what my family might would have said to me is don't reach for your wallet too fast, don't reach for the glove box too fast, keep your hands on the wheel. Now, you can stop and say, well, Chuck, all cops aren't like that. Of course they're not. Good night. We have some of the godliest men and women in the world in this church that are cops. 
And I'll say it again, we're asking them to do way too much. But let me also stop and say to you, that breaks my heart that some, kid, that, that some mom has to fear for her kid's life just driving through town. So, Doc, help us understand, as a church, how do we help just get past this big honking wall that seems to be between us? You know, I'm glad you asked that question. Yes, you did uh, change up the question a little bit on me, but... Um... You know, it's, it, it's one of these things, if you've been in any of my classes on Sunday mornings or our growth group, and uh, Jenny and I just finished with the class, and I, I told her, I said, this thing is, thing being this class, I said, it, it's changing me. I said, mm-hmm. Jenny, it's, I'm, I'm weirded out by this a little bit, but it's, it's changing me a little bit. However, she was we a little weirded to, out by you, to be honest. <laughs> she probably was. But when, when I look at it as a church, um, if you have been in any of my classes, I, I tell you that I love working with outreach. Mm-hmm. Those that have been broken. Those that have been broken by the church, broken by life, broken by people. Um, I firmly believe, though, that if anyone walks into the doors of our church, that we cannot be a church people that pushes people away. Mm. So, therefore, what must we do as a church? Well, well this is what brought me to Sugar Hill and to the Sugar Hill community. I've been in the community now for 11 years. I live in the community. Um, uh, my children have gone to school and is about to go to school in the community. My wife works in the community. We love the Sugar Hill Church because our church loves people. Mm. But what is it that we must do? I, I, I just always pray that not only do we address the the issue or the concerns that are taking place with all people because if we are made of one then we are basically saying an extension of us is hurting Mm. but that we continue to be the church that believes in the bible amen and if we get the bible right as pastor chuck always speaks on but if we get this bible thing right we won't have to worry about church people pushing away people yeah we won't have to worry about how is it that we will address controversial issues because we know that as a family, all made of one, as one person, same blood, mm-hmm. same bone, that we're going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord and regardless of what society says. Amen. But that we continue to be that church. Yeah. That is ground one. And from there, then let's build on how is it that we address because other issues are going to pop up. Yeah. If we don't get this right, there will be other issues and then we won't know how to handle right. those as a family and as one. Right. So, so as a church, I, I mean, I beg, I plead, I pray uh, in, in the most heartfelt way that I can is that we get the Bible right when we yeah. address anything that deals with one. Amen. Yeah, Paul writes an awful lot about uh, how we're to see other people and not less than us, how we, how we understand this. We've called to be one another people. Um, but let, let me walk you through a sequence, uh, and I want, this is interactive, all right? So I'm going to read a statement, and at the end of the statement, if you agree with it, you say amen loudly, all right? If you disagree with it, you just don't say anything, all right? Fair enough? All right, so let's practice. I say something that you agree with, and you? Amen. All right, I say something you don't agree with, you? Good job. All right, so uh, y'all got that a little too well. All right, so, all right, let me read this and make sure that we're all on the same page, all right? Number one, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. Oh, wow, that's good. All right, God created man and woman. Amen. And all the men said? 
Amen. That's uh, a little weak, guys. All right. I'm helping you guys. Yeah, I'm I know. You. Ruben's trying to help you bail you out. Okay, here we go. Um, man and woman, they started the slide to sin by disobeying God. Amen. As a result, we are still stuck in that sin. We are all born into a sinful nature. Amen. Anyone, anybody want to give me an O-me on that one? Okay, all right, we're on a roll, all right? Because of that sin, we are in desperate need for God to display his love to us by sending his son, shedding his blood, dying on a cross, being buried in a borrowed tomb, raising three days later, and going to heaven to create a home for all that believe. And we are in desperate need of forgiveness of our sinful, selfish nature. Amen. Amen. That God hears our brokenness when we cry out to him and we ask to be forgiven and we repent of that sin and he is faithful and just to hear us and we get to receive the forgiveness that only Jesus can give us. Amen. And when that happens, we men and women of the cross begin a lifelong endeavor to become more like Christ through the power of his spirit that lives now within us the, that we refer to as sanctification, every step growing to become more and more like Jesus. Amen. Then what's the problem? Because at some point when that became uncomfortable and it rubbed up against either our heritage our belief system what we truly say and do when nobody watches us and it became so uncomfortable we don't want to deal with it and we stop the growth pattern and becoming more like Christ so doc as you think about uh, how we're trying to address racism how we try to address this incredible challenge that is in America today and I, I really do believe it I believe it's greater today than it's ever been in America uh, irregardless of what our president said, I, I, I really do believe it's a greater divide now than ever. And I, I'm like, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what has raised its head other than the fact that I don't believe the church can any longer sit back and say, okay, well, that's, that's a social problem. This is a spiritual problem. And, and so if you agreed with the amens, by the way, I noticed by the time we got to the end, about half of you disconnected there. Because, you see, if you keep following this path, at some point, you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, does that mean that, that Jesus and the blood he had to spill for you, Chuck, is the same amount for some black dude, rapper dude downtown that you don't like or never heard of? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God created that dude in his image just like created you. And Jesus didn't have to spill any more blood for him than he did me. So, Doc, what, what do we do to try and say, okay, we believe all these truths, but yet we're still trying to figure out how, how does black lives matter? What do we do? So, I guess my question to you is, is really, it, it is different than the last hour. Yes, it is. All right? And, and, and I think where do we go from here so that a conversation like this doesn't stop, but there's, there's some activity that moves us beyond here? What, where do we go from here? It's just like one of those feel-good moments when, when Pastor Chuck or, or Pastor Bobby delivers such an awesome message, and when we leave out of here, we're so energized, and by Tuesday, we've forgotten what the word is. 
everything, everything I'm going to tell you today, it, it goes back to, uh, to the Bible. And I love the message just a few weeks ago when it was act like men. Mm. So, man, I'm mm. particularly speaking to you. And when it says to act like men, that was in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, but to act like men, take control of, be the man that God has, has put you on this, on this earth to be. Mm-hmm. Be the one that is not fearful of the conversation because of public perception. Be the one that is not fearful mm-hmm. to outrightly attack in a loving way the issues and the controversies that are at hand. If, 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 we, if we really truly talk about it, it's so, it's so biblically based. Uh, even in Galatians, even in Galatians in chapter 3, and it gets into 28, and you can write that down, go read it a little bit later, and I believe that you're going to have something that's contexted to it a little bit later. But there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, mm. and for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, so he, he, here's, what I, here's what I pray for us to not be. It's fearful. Mm. Because I ask this question, are we strong enough? Mm. Are we really truly strong enough to address the issues of this world as a family mm. and as one? Are we man enough to be the men of our homes to preach and be a disciple of the mm. gospel so that we lead our families mm-hmm. as they are educated mm-hmm. to understand that we are truly one. Amen. But then when we get around our, our friends that may not believe the same things that we do, that we stand strong into how we believe about people so yeah. that when something does happen and a Black Lives Matter issue or concern comes up or a women's lives or a gay, lesbian, you name it, that we are strong enough as men to stand yeah. in the word to say that, wow. hey man, I think you got this completely wrong. Yeah. Let, let me tell you how I feel yeah. and not be afraid of the yeah. consequences or the repercussions that come about because of what you believe in. Yeah. So it, it is very important. We, we have got to get the heart right before we can actually go out and address any concern. And until we get the heart right, we are mm. always going to have a problem. So maybe the new hashtag is your heart matters. Mm. And then we really address the issues of, of what's taking place in this world. There are some people out there that are hurting, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this is something that we have to address when we start back up with school also. Yeah. What if it would have happened to a young black man, young black woman uh, uh, here in Sugar Hill? Mm. Think of the divide that it could have caused within our church if yeah. we don't have deeply rooted foundation of what we believe in. Yeah here at the Sugar Hill Church. Mm. How it could have caused a divisiveness that could have torn the walls down of what we have worked so hard yeah. to build. Yeah. I mean, that's good, Doc. So I think maybe the answer, where do we go from here, might rest in what the first century church did to deal with their racism. You can say, well, Chuck, they didn't have, they didn't have a Black Lives Matter. Pro- they had a bigger problem. So in the first century church, we, we're going to be teaching through the book of Acts in, in a few weeks. And so uh, I, I, while I'm digging in there some, I found this unbelievable process that the first century church had to do to deal with racism. Now you say, well, what kind of racism did they have? Now watch this. You had Jews that had now heard the message of the gospel of Jesus who were giving their lives to Christ and becoming 
Christians, followers of Jesus. You had Gentiles who were not Jews, who were giving their life to Christ, following him as Lord and Savior. You, you had freedmen who were once slaves, but have been begged, borrowed, or, 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 or bartered out of slavery into freed lives who were coming to faith in Christ. You had slaves that were coming to faith in Christ, and you had women coming to faith in Christ. Now watch this. Women had no rights of any kind. They had zero status. They couldn't even be educated. All right? And, and then you had slaves and freedmen that hated each other and slave owners who hated both freedmen and slaves. And then you had Gentiles who thought the Jews were uppity and you had the, 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 the Jews who thought the Gentiles were lowly. And in the middle of all of that, what we found was a massive problem of racism. And you say, well, Chuck, was it really that bad? Yeah. And you know where it rested in? The first church. If you were Catholic, you heard that Peter was the first pope. If you were, if you were raised Protestant, you heard that Peter was the leader of the first church. Well, watch this. Peter, as the leader of the church, watching the Holy Spirit fall upon him and the other apostles and seeing thousands of people come to faith in Christ, Peter is a racist because he cannot grasp with how it would be remotely possible that God would bless a Gentile to the same degree he would a treasured Jew, much less some woman or some, some slave or freedman. But he's going to the home of Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And if you look in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, we read what the text has to say about what Peter's doing to deal with this issue. So he walks into the home of Cornelius, and you're going to find in a minute that Cornelius has, has invited a bunch of folk from the neighborhood. Verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. So far, so good, right? And verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Okay, we got a crowd. Hmm. Verse 28, and he said to them, hey, well, that's my part. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. He did not go to Dale Carnegie's class how to win friends and influence people. Okay, so get the picture. Here's the Jewish dude, Peter. I'm playing that part. Reuben is Cornelius. I come to Cornelius' house, and Reuben's got all of his fraternity brothers and his family and his neighbors, and I walk in, and the first thing I say is, Reuben, you realize the law, Jewish law, says that I'm not even supposed to hang out with you because you are black. And Reuben's thinking, dude, this is not how to start with my people. <laughs> and then he goes on. He, he, he keeps going. Now watch what happens. He says, but God has shown me, <laughs> God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Now watch this. How did the first century church deal with racism? Their leader, Peter, had to say, I was fearful. I, I couldn't imagine that God in his infinite mercy sending his son to die for all of us. I couldn't believe he would want me to hang out with you. And yet God has now shown me that that's wrong. 
that in Christ who came to fulfill that law, he came to bind us together so that we together might be found blameless before him in the presence of Jesus. And he goes into the home. And that's why we still are a church because of how they dealt with it as a church. So you say, well, Chuck, what's the punchline today? What do you want me to do? Well, I'm going to ask you, first of all, would you be willing to say, God, show me? You, you, you were willing to show Peter, would you show me? You were willing to put Peter and Cornelius together, would you be willing to do that in me? The second thing I'd say to you is, are, are you willing over the next week or two, or the next month or two, over the next year or two, are you willing when this, this conversation becomes easy in kind of that little gentlemanly way of which we kind of make snide and snickery remarks, are you willing to be the guy that Dr. Gresham was talking about that says, no, that's enough? You say, well, Chuck, you, you must not have had this problem growing up. Let me tell you something. My granddad dropped the N-word like I do cheeseburgers. I'm not proud of that. But I remember the day in our home where, where dad, dad said to my pop, that's enough. That, that, that doesn't live in this house. And I remember thinking then, you know what? Way to go, Dad. So I'm, I'm going to follow up with Dr. Gresham and said, what, what, if, what if you said I'm going to be that person? Listen, maybe, maybe you need to go buy five Starbucks cards, and every time you see a police officer this week, you say, thank you. I, thank you. I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you. Maybe you, you need to stop telling stories of how you have one good friend, and by the way, he's black, and just have friends. And maybe before we fire off, yeah, well, all lives matter. We might find that empathy that would lead us to kindness, and that kindness might lead us to justice. And when we do the work of justice, we always walk humbly. And those are the three things that the Lord requires of us. You say, well, Chuck, that, that's, but, but what do I do? Now, watch this. Hector Band, if you guys are coming out, come on out. What if, um, what if instead of finding your identity as a Latino or, or as an African-American or as a redneck or as a white guy, what if rather than finding your identity in the fact that you're, you're a police officer or an educator or a preacher, what if your identity wasn't founded and rooted on anything less than Jesus is my Lord, he is my Savior, he is my King. He came to offer forgiveness for me and for people like me and for people that aren't like me. What if our identity was in the fact that Jesus, you are my stronghold you are my strong tower. You are my healer. You are my companion. You are my savior. You're the one that died for me. What if my identity was first grounded there? Because when I got that right, Doc, you're right, then I'll get the rest of it right, but I've got to get that right. You see, when our heart doesn't break for people that are hurting just because they're different than us, 
we have said to our Creator, you, you did make a mistake. No, He didn't. He is God. He is God Almighty. He is not the man upstairs. He is one that breathed life into us. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of adoration. He is worthy of fear because he first loved us. Oh, and by the way, he first loved them too. So Lord God, today, I thank you for my friend, Dr. Gresham. God, show us, like you did, Peter, show us. God, if it is in the tiniest crevice of our heart, call it out of us. Eradicate this sinful nature from our lives. God, call us to something higher, something better, that we might proclaim Jesus is Lord, that we might proclaim God our Creator made us as equal, that we might fall in love with Jesus and live for Jesus, and someday, Lord, that we might live in heaven together where none of this is ever a problem again. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. God, we love you. Call us to something greater. We are a part of your family. God, I pray we'd act like your kids. I pray we'd sing like it, we'd live like it, we'd pray like it, we'd worship like it, we'd serve like it, we'd forgive like it. You are worthy. We love you, Lord Jesus. And all the church said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.